Good morning and welcome to Green Tea Conversations, a radio show that delves into the pages of Natural Awakenings magazine to bring you the local experts who share their progressive ideas and the latest information and insights needed so you can lead your best life. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, the publisher of the Twin Cities edition of Natural Awakenings magazine, and I am honored to bring these experts to you. Today on our show, we will be talking to three local candidates who are running for office in the primaries on August 11th. Our first candidate is Devana Pittman, who is a DFL-endorsed candidate for Hennepin County District 1, which includes the cities of Brooklyn Center, Brooklyn Park, Crystal, New Hope, Osseo, and Robbinsdale. Devana is an author, entrepreneur, and longtime employee at Hennepin County, where she currently serves as a disparity reduction coordinator. Welcome to the show, Devana. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We are so glad to have you on the show. So I'm going to uh, start off in this show. What I'm going to do is actually ask each candidate the same set of questions. And so for the first question uh, for you, I'm going to start with is what made you decide to run for office in this election? Well, um, running for office was absolutely not the thing that I wanted to do. It was something that I had to do. I had been spending a lot of time in the community hearing about things that were important to people and things that mattered. But then on the other hand, I was a county employee. So I saw how we did business behind closed doors. And I also got to sit in a lot of the board meetings. And one day I just recognized that we needed a different perspective in our district. Um, I felt like a lot of the ideas and uh, the innovation that was happening on a board level for my district was not happening in a way that um, was really pulling people out of poverty and um, including opportunities for folks to really prosper in a way that will help us to reduce disparities in our state. Um, So I knew that I couldn't continue to wait on someone else to run against a 29-year incumbent that um, people probably would not run against him if he was still sitting in that seat. And so I decided that it had to be me. Okay. So in light of the COVID-19 health crisis, with people losing their employer-provided health care and others having difficult paying their premiums, what ideas do you have to assure access to affordable health care for all of our citizens? Um, Hennepin County absolutely has uh, relationships with both uh, Hennepin Health and Hennepin Healthcare. And I plan to uh, be on that board, on the Hennepin Health Board, with all the other board members and to advocate for uh, great insurance, good insurance, especially for people who I believe healthcare is a right for one. I don't think people should be uh, squandering trying to figure out how they're going to pay for their health care. And so I would absolutely advocate for um, good, free, free health care and good health care. Okay. So in your opinion, what types of natural health care should be covered for health insurance? Well, I'm a bit of a, a naturalist. Um, I believe that anything that grows from the ground, anything that Mother Earth has given us is uh, some of the greatest potions and tonics that we could ever have. 
Um, so I absolutely believe in, um, you know, uh, great nutrition and other um, um, ways to heal ourselves, whether it be massage or um, any kind of natural remedies that are offered. I think um, we have enough scientific proof to tell us that those natural ways of taking care of our bodies work. And so um, I would absolutely advocate for, for those things to be a part of our, our healthcare system. Prescription drug prices are continually rising, even for life-saving drugs like insulin, which has been available to diabetics for decades. What do you see as the impetus for these rising costs, and how can you assure people get what they need to live healthy lives? Yeah, I think that um, the reason for the high prescription drugs is really about greed. It's not about care or concern for um, people who absolutely need these drugs to live. And I think that we need um, people who will continue to fight for these drugs to be free and affordable. Um, those conversations happen at uh, a legislative level at the Capitol. And um, the county commissioners um, don't really move those kind of issues as far as like from a, a legislative perspective. However, um, we absolutely can continue to um, support those conversations, be strong advocates on the ground. Um, we can have conversations with the people who live in our districts to really understand the need for um, insulin and other kind of drugs that um, are an issue. Um, you know, with the rising costs. Mm -hmm. and so um, uh, the county commission is um, a powerful voice because we are closer to the ground than most, we would be um, closer to the ground than most elected officials because we have our, our ear and pulse to the communities. So what do you see as the most important education issue facing us today? And what do you propose to do to solve it? Well, um, I'm so very concerned with um, where we are right now in the midst of a pandemic and our children um, all being homeschooled by their um, parents and guardians. Um, so, gosh, we need to put our heads together and figure out how we make sure that children are learning. Um, there definitely won't be a consistent form of learning because people are at home. Um, so I'm very concerned about that. Prior to the pandemic, um, one of my goals as county commissioner was absolutely figuring out how the county commission um, develops a strong partnership with our schools. We, um, the county commissioners, um, have a lot of say into our, our juvenile justice, our juvenile um, detention program and our criminal justice program. And so rather than wait until our children are in trouble and um, you know they're in custody at the county, we need to start figuring out how to partner with our schools to create workforce development opportunities for youth and help our kids figure out um, positive paths. Okay, so we have a lot of work to do in our country when it comes to addressing systemic racism. In your opinion, what is the most pressing issues that need to be addressed immediately, and what are your initial ideas to do so? Well, uh, the largest problem that I recognize right now is that um, 
we have a lot of leaders and a lot of organizations who don't believe that racism is an issue. That in itself is an issue. Um, so we need to start weeding, weeding immediately. If people don't want to get with the program, then they might need to find something else to do because we um, absolutely cannot have leaders in positions that don't believe that systemic racism is an issue. Um, organizations, starting with Hennepin County, we have to take a look at age-old policies, policies that have been in place for hundreds of years that have not served us. Um, and that's in education, employment, income, health, housing, transportation, and in our justice systems. Um, for me, bail reform is an absolute um, first line goal for me because um, our criminal justice system is broken and it has been broken since the day it was constructed. So um, we have to take a look at every single policy that we have in place and make sure that um, it is, it's serving us. If it's not, then it needs to go. Mm -hmm. And when you say the bail system, what do you see as the issue with it? Well, I mean, it's so many issues, but number one, we know that people of color um, make way less money, um, 63 cents or 37 cents or something like that to the dollar um, for Caucasian people. And so um, there's no way that if a black person gets locked up that they're going to have $500, $1,000, especially, um, you know, in our poor communities. But if our, uh, someone who's white gets locked up, they have more access to um, not only money, but they have access to um, homes and they can take out loans. Um, just the way that our system has been set up, bail reform is not um, an uh, equal system. It doesn't provide equality across the system because we don't have equality across either of the, the domains, especially when it comes to income. And so um, bail reform is a setup. I mean, bail is a setup um, and it goes against everything that we say we want to change. Well, Devana, thank you so much for being with us today and answering our questions. To learn more about the issues important to Devana, visit peopleforpitman.com. And that's people, the word for F-O-R, Pittman, P-I-T-T-M-A-N.com. To read the online edition of Natural Awakenings Magazine, visit naturaltwincities.com. You can find a podcast of this show on am950radio.com, on Apple and Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Green Tea Conversations, where we delve into the pages of Natural Awakenings Magazine and talk to the professionals who share their expertise on natural health with you. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, and we are now welcoming into our show, Diana DePoister. Diana has 20 years of business experience in financial services, was appointed by the Minnesota Legislature to the Family Building Task Force, and has served as a leader on the boards of several nonprofit organizations. She is also a candidate for state representative in District 45A, which includes the cities of Plymouth, New Hope, and Crystal.
Thank you for being with us today, Diona. Thank you for having me, Candy. So you are running in the primary on August 11th, and we are interviewing both you and your opponent on this show. So uh, it really is just so that our, our listeners and the readers in the magazine get a chance to kind of see side by side some of the candidates who are running. And of course, we can't do everyone, but we wanted to, uh, we were able to bring you into the studio and I appreciate that. So let's get started. And I'm going to ask you, what, what made you decide to run for office? Well, shortly after I, our first son was born in 1999, there was some legislation being proposed that would require uh, parental medical treatments for infertility to be declared on a child's birth certificate. And when I heard that, I said, no way. And that is one of the experiences that lit my fire to advocate for others like ourselves. But then I fast forward to early 2003, and I was lobbying as a private citizen at the Capitol with my friends. And I shared with them that the child that I was carrying was going to be born with Down syndrome. And through my tears, as I was telling them, it hit me that the laws that we put in place are there to protect people like my son, who are disabled, people who are marginalized and vulnerable, and those who have no voice of their own. And it was at that moment that I knew I wanted to advocate for others in such a much bigger way. So when I learned that Representative Carlson was retiring, I knew that the time was now. <laughs> oh, great. So in, in, speaking of this, this kind of leads us into the next question. In light of the COVID-19 health crisis, with many people losing their employer-provided health care and others having difficulty paying their premiums, what ideas do you have to assure access to affordable health care for all of our citizens? Good question. So, Candy, the U.S. spends more on health care than any developed country in the world, but we rank 37th in outcomes. And COVID-19 has pointed to a lot of fractures in our health care system. So we have to provide equal access to health care for all people. We have to reduce the cost of health care. We have to get employers out of the business of providing health care so it's not a condition of employment. And because so many low-paying and part-time jobs don't have benefits, and it's especially a burden for small businesses to provide health care benefits. So we have to make health care a right, not a privilege. So I believe we have to go to a single-payer system similar to Medicare. And another area of concern to me is the high cost of drugs for everyone, but especially those on who have low incomes or fixed incomes. So in your opinion, what types of natural health care should be covered in health insurance? Well, I want to share a little story to, to help answer this. But several years ago, my mom had excruciating pain in her neck and could hardly hold her head up. And we went to Mayo Clinic where we've had great success for over 40 years. But this time, all the drugs and all the procedures and all of the pain management just didn't work. So I did some research and was directed to a wonderful nan named Ping who does acupuncture and Qigong just in our area here. And my mom was 88 years old at the time. 
And I wasn't sure that she would even go for it, but she actually said yes. And she said, I will try anything. So after the first visit, my mom told me that her pain was cut in half. And over about a six-week period, it was finally gone. And she had to pay totally out of pocket for that, uh, that treatment, but it was worth every penny. And she actually credits him with saving her life because she said she couldn't possibly live with that kind of pain that she had suffered. And if alternative treatments had been covered by her insurance, we might have tried that option a lot sooner and saved the insurance company thousands of dollars. So I do believe that health insurance should cover things like naturopaths, chiropractors, acupuncturists, qigong, and other natural remedies. And we shouldn't leave out other things like nutritional coaching and healthy exercise. And I also think that medical marijuana should be covered for cancer patients and other diseases for pain management and seizure disorders. Prescription drug prices are continually rising, even for life-saving drugs such as insulin, which has been available to diabetics for decades. What do you see as the impetus of these rising costs, and how can you assure people, how can you assure people get what they need to live a healthy life? So, Candy, our state has recently passed the Alex Smith Insulin Affordability Act to provide emergency insulin to diabetic patients, but we still have to address the high cost of insulin. So a few weeks ago, I was talking with Janet in New Hope, who's a pharmacist, and she was explaining to me that drug companies research drugs that give them high profit margins, but don't always research drugs that are actually needed. So part of the impetus for these rising costs stems from huge amounts of advertising that we see on TV for drugs every day, disease marketing. And another reason is that the long-term patents that keep drugs prices high so that generic drugs can't be marketed until the patent runs out. And a third thing, while we need to make sure that drugs we use are safe and effective and are monitored properly, the cost of getting FDA approval for drug companies is huge. So some of the things that we can do to assure that people get what they need to live a healthy life are <clears throat> to cover preventative health care, not just curative health care. We can work with drug companies to encourage research on drugs we actually need while keeping their profits stable, but that way we don't have to impose price controls that other countries do. And of course, if we went to a single payer healthcare system, that would provide access to drugs at a much more reasonable cost. Okay. So what is the most important education issue you feel is facing us today? And what do you propose that should be done to solve it? I think the most important issue right now is the education achievement gap. In 2019, there was a report from the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis that found that Minnesota is one of the worst states in the country for education achievement gaps. And the report also says that education disparities are not just affecting students of color, and they are not confined to just one area of the state. Now, having said that, we do have schools in our state that do not have an education achievement gap. And we should take what's working in those schools that is transferable 
and use those pieces as models for other schools that need help. Every child deserves a world-class education, and the city or neighborhood in which a child lives should, should not determine his or her access to the best education resources that Minnesota can provide. So I will advocate for an educational system where each and every student receives an excellent education, meets them where they are at, and prepares them for their future, whether they go to trade schools, vocational schools, community colleges, or four-year colleges. And in some areas, there's a disparity in equity of taxes that are paid for education in, in suburban communities like ours, which don't have a lot of industry. And that makes property taxes for our residents higher than many of our surrounding communities. So I will advocate for measures that actually equalize our taxes. And we also need to provide incentives for finishing high school so that we eliminate that school-to-prison pipeline. Um, we, and also having a child with Down syndrome, I understand the need for inclusion in our schools for students with differing abilities, differing cultures, and differing needs. And as, as a state representative, I will advocate for full funding for our schools. Okay, so do you acknowledge that climate change is real and poses an immediate threat to our environment and our health and safety? We have a global rise in temperature in the last 35 years. We have warming oceans, shrinking ice sheets. We have glaciers that are retreating and a rise in sea levels that is accelerating every year. We have extreme events like tsunamis and hurricanes that we never used to hear about. This is the evidence, and it's a worldwide issue. So yes, I believe climate change is real and that we need to address these changes so that we can not only protect our own health and safety, but that of our environment. Climate change will impact in a much greater way countries who are struggling like Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. So if we don't make change quickly, our poorest economies in the world will be impacted. In fact, all of our economies will be impacted. Okay. <clears throat> what specific goals and measures do you support for reducing carbon emissions? So our state legislature passed a bill in 2019 to make our state 100% free of carbon electricity generation by the year 2050. But we don't have that technology to do this yet. But we do have the technology to be 80% free by 2030. So we need to set this as a graduated goal to assure that we stay on track. Another goal is to require carbon neutral heating in government buildings and incentivize homeowners and business owners to do the same. Um, another measure would be to have electric charging stations in apartment building lots. Uh, rest areas, national parks, and in all government buildings. And as we replace things like buses and government fleet cars, we could use electric vehicles and incent the public to do the same. And our final question for you today is, we have a lot of work to do in our country when it comes to addressing systemic racism. In your opinion, what are the most pressing issues that, we need, that need to be addressed immediately, and what are your initial ideas to do so? Well, that's a very big question. <laughs> but I am actually encouraged for the first time in our history 
systemic racism is actually being addressed, not just as a black issue, but that finally white people are also getting involved and standing up for our communities of color. And I have to admit that over these last weeks, I've been seeking out information for myself to help my own understanding of what systemic racism is and how it happened. And as I've been learning more and more, I'm recognizing in myself ways that I need to change, things that I do without thinking that I never realized until now. So one of the first things that white people can do now is to search out factual resources to help us understand better what our black friends have endured for so many years. We've got books and articles, YouTube, all kinds of resources available to us. And in my research, I've learned that the average black household has only 60% of the income of the average white household and only 10% of the wealth. And wealth allows people to own a home, send their kids to college, start a small business. And without it, any one negative life event can create a crisis of disastrous proportion. Loss of a home, an apartment, or a car, things that are imperative. So there were covenants in 1948 that prevented home ownership by African Americans in 50% of the developments in Minneapolis. And there's a whole lot more to this idea, but here there's, we have to outlaw, outlaw redlining. We have to forbid mortgage providers from discriminatory lending practices. We need better training for our police in de-escalating violent situations and putting laws in place that actually protect our citizens. And we have to implement more rigorous statewide and national policing standards. This is just a place to start. Thank you so much for being with us today, Diana. And oh, to learn an more about the issues that are important to Diana, visit dianadepoister.com. You're listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Green Tea Conversations, where we delve into the pages of Natural Awakenings Magazine and talk to the professionals who share their expertise on natural health with you. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, and today we are going to be talking to Cedric Frazier, a union-side labor attorney for the Education Minnesota, which is the largest labor union in the state, as well as a city councilman for New Hope and the DFL endorsed candidate for state representative in District 45A, which includes the cities of Plymouth, New Hope, and Crystal. Welcome to the show, Cedric. Thank you, Candy. It's a pleasure to be here. We are so happy you're with us today. So we are trying to get to know our candidates a little bit better so that we can really understand who we are voting for in our August 11th um, primaries. So to start us off, why don't you tell us what made you decide to run for office this year? Sure. Thanks for the question. Well, I mean, part of it is I believe uh, when you when you elect a representative or have a representative, you should have someone that has proximity to the issues that they're addressing. Um, and the big part of that is because I believe when you can govern or co-govern with uh, with the lens of empathy, um, it makes you a better um, representative and a better advocate. Uh, a lot of the issues that we face in our state, as you know, we have these we have some of these disparities in our state that are you know deeper than some other states um, within this country, but we have a lot of resources in the state. 
um, I have proximity um, to many of those uh, disparities that we have. I mean, I when I grew up, I, I, I suffered through two evictions. So the, the housing affordability issue and home insecurity. Um, I, I was also, my, my parents were on, uh, we were on public assistance. I, I stood in those food lines, so the food insecurity pieces. Um, and also I didn't go, I didn't attend a, a, a school system that was one of the best um, in the country. And, you know, we have a huge disparity in our educational opportunity gaps here in the state of Minnesota. So, so for me, it's about having the opportunity to be a representative and govern with that lens of empathy because I've lived through those experiences. Um, and I want to make sure that no one has to go through that and that we can close those gaps and nobody gets left behind. Mm, okay. So, you know, really right now in the light of the COVID-19 health crisis with people losing their employer provided health care and others really having difficulty paying their premiums, even when they are getting maybe reduced premiums. What ideas do you have to assure access to affordable health care for all of our residents? Well, I think one of the biggest things we have to you know, expand, mentor, open it up. Um, I think the problem that we have in this country is that we have large part, we have our health care tied to our employment. And as we've seen with, with the COVID-19, when the pandemic and a lot of the unemployment that was happening with the layoffs um, or just businesses just shutting down, um, that become problematic. Uh, we, we've had people that now have lack, lack medical coverage. Um, and, and what we've seen in other countries in Europe that have kind of gotten this thing right and are bringing the numbers down, uh, they have what I call uh, a people first, a people first perspective when they legislate or when they govern. I mean, so it's all it, to me, it seems like the lens that they govern by is what's going to be the best thing for the people that we're governing, for the people of our country or the peoples of our cities. And, and if you look at Medicare for all or universal system where everybody's going to have access to quality health care, not tied to unemployment. I think you're gonna you have better outcomes with that. So for me, it's about creating a system, finding a way to get Minnesota where we can get to a system where all Minnesotans will have access to healthcare, regardless of what their employment status is. What are your What are your viewpoints on if somebody wants to keep their employer assisted? So I think I think there's I think we can have a hybrid system. I think that's I don't think anything's wrong with that. The one thing I always say, and I, I get this question, I'm a, a you know being being in labor and working with the union side. Some of my union colleagues, brothers and sisters will say, well, we don't want to lose the, the healthcare medical coverage that is that we fought so hard to get it. It's great coverage. And, and the one question I always um, pose to them is I say, well, we have to think about when we make that comment is that there are tons of people that don't have access to healthcare. So we want to make sure we don't shut, um, shut the conversation down and say, well, we've got something really good. Forget everybody else, but we've got something really good. You all figure it out. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't shut down the question. I think that can be a hybrid model. If there are some things out there that employers can have access to that is better than um, that may be different than what you can access publicly. But but the bottom line is we've got to create a system where everybody's going to have access to quality care, regardless of what your your employment status is. Great. So in your opinion, what types of natural health care should be covered with health insurance? So I think you know uh, things like uh, chiropractic adjustments should be covered. Um, acupuncture is a, is a big one. Um, and I haven't had the chance to experience acupuncture yet, but I've heard some really good. <laughs> I heard well, some really I can good. tell you a few really good acupuncturists that you yeah, might want to talk to. I would appreciate that. So, I, so I'm a former athlete, and so I've got I've got some things that I still deal with now from the I'm a football player. So I got some things that I deal with now that I know are from those playing days that I had. I mean, back aches, ankle issues, um, some. Um, 
I, I got some kind of hip things that are going on, knee issues that are going on. And one of the things when I when I played um, as an athlete, I I always I always enjoyed the fact and I appreciate the fact that I had a trainer that wasn't really keen on loading up on on the drugs to mm-hmm. deal with the pain. Um, he always tried to give you options, um, whether it be stretching, uh, meditation, um, uh, therapeutic massage, tried to give you other options to heal um, from those type of injuries injuries and deal with the pain. And so for me, that's why when I think about the therapeutic pieces, the acupuncture, the chiropractic adjustments, and also the therapeutic massage, for me, those are healthier ways to heal. Those are healthier ways to to recover from injury. And it's overall better for your body. I believe you're not putting these chemicals in um, that have these uh, really strange and odd um, side effects and damaging side effects. Um, So those are the kind of things that I think should be, those should be absolutely um, as, as, a, as a basic standard included in, in medical coverage and okay. healthcare coverage. So uh, prescription drug prices are continuing to rise, even yeah. for life-saving drugs that people need, such as insulin, which has been around really for diabetics for decades now. Yes. What do you see as the impetus of these rising costs and how can you assure that people get what they need to live healthy, happy lives? So we had Representative uh, Mike Howard. Um, he actually, there was a bill that was passed, the the Insulin Bill Act that was passed to bring those um, down. And what it did was put a, it put a cap on how much you'd actually have to pay for insulin and keep it affordable. I mean, those are those are great ways I think to do that, and we can do that from a legislative perspective, um, and a state law pr- perspective. I even think that when we're looking at when we're looking at any prescription drugs, if we've got uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers that are selling these drugs in certain places for substantially lower price. I think about Canada, for one example. They, they do a pretty good job of reining in those prices and keeping them down. Um, and, and just coincidentally, they have a public health care system everybody has access to, right? right. Um, but they do a pretty good job of reining those prices in from the pharmaceutical companies. And I don't see why we can't do things like that. Or at the minimum, open up an exchange system where our residents would have access to look at those rates on in, uh, in Canada to make sure they can get the get the medications that they need. And you're right. I mean, some of these are life-saving medications that they need. Um, when you speak about insulin, we shouldn't have people having to make decisions between should I eat tonight? Should I pay my rent? Or should I get the medicine that I need to live? That, that shouldn't happen. Um, which was the, that was the impotence and the, the impetus of the bill that um, Representative Howard brought was because someone had to ration, a, a kid, young man had to ration his insulin and he didn't, he didn't survive. And we should never have, in a country with this kind of wealth, in a state with these kind of resources, we should never have that be um, decisions that someone has to make. How about um, what do you see as the most important issue facing education today? Well, I, I think I mentioned earlier that we have this, uh, we, we, have, we have some incredible opportunity gaps um, that we need to fill and, and, and close. And the problem with that is that the folks that fall in those opportunity gaps are our lowest of income, and also our, our black and brown kids uh, within this state. What's problematic, really problematic about that for the future of this state, when you're talking about a state that, is, that builds itself on how great its education is, and that's what spurs a lot of the economic, um, the spurs the economic engine of this country with the Fortune 500 companies that we have here. They come here expecting that they're gonna have talented um, citizens that can go into the jobs and, and continue to grow the economy. But if you don't, if we don't educate those citizens well, if we don't figure out a way to close opportunity gaps, there's going to be a real, real problem with that in the future, uh, with the future of our state. Uh, and the other thing, just immediately thinking because of COVID-19, we've got to figure out a way 
to have effective long distance learning for all of our students in an equitable way. Um, again, with the opportunity gap, that's only been exasperated by the fact that we've been doing long distance learning and we were not prepared for it. So we have a lot of work to do in our country when it comes to addressing systematic racism. Yeah. In your opinion, what do you see as the most pressing issues that need to be addressed immediately? And what are your initial ideas to do so? So one of the most pressing now, obviously, with with we all had to we all got to witness for those that were able to watch it, we got to witness the the killing of George Floyd um, by by police officers. And so one of the most pressing things now is to figure out a way and put some things in place to hold officers accountable when that happens. Um, I, I, I am no, I don't crusade to say that all officers are bad. I have a good relationship with our police chief here in the city of New Hope. I often um, time I meet, we meet like once or once or once a quarter, uh, I meet with a, with a few uh, Northwest suburban police chiefs and community members to talk about police and community relations. So I don't think that all police are bad, but I will say we do have a system that has created um, a mindset where that officers have believed that I can do these things and there's not gonna be any harm or accountability brought to me. One of the things we have a post board that uh, that is responsible for licensing our police officers. And when um, you say post board, yeah. so it's, it's the peace, peace officers, Peace Officers Standards and Training Board. That is correct. That is okay. correct. Thank you. Thank you, Candy. All these acronyms. And you, you I know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that post board um, is responsible. And Minnesota was one of the first in the country to, to kind of, uh, you know, regulate and have a formal process for this and require, require credentials for our peace officers, which is a great thing. But we've, we've not kept up in terms of uh, the 20, with 21st century policing in order to, to also have that as a way to hold our officers accountable. One of the big conversations you hear about now is how do we prevent officers when they go out and they do something egregious from just moving on to the next jurisdiction and, and then getting and then continue with that certification to be out on the street again? Well, the post board is a way that we could deal with that. They could take the license away. They could investigate right away. They could remove the license, suspend the license. And when that is done, a lot of the conversation right now has been around arbitration. But if the post board removes the license, it doesn't matter what the outcome is in an arbitration process because the officer no longer has the license. And you need a license in this state in order to be a peace officer. And I compare that to you know, my work uh, working with educators. Um, in our, we, have a, we have a board that is known as PELSB. It's the uh, Professional Education Licensing Board. And that board does the same thing. It issues licenses and it takes licenses away. And when the license is not there, you can't teach. Same with the officers, you take the license away. They can't be on the street continuing to perpetuate the system where their uh, black and brown lives don't seem to matter. And I think one thing that people don't really understand is that Minnesota is one of only a few states that actually have a licensing requirement for police officers. That is correct. So thank you so much for being with us today. We are so glad that you could be a part of this. Uh, to learn more about the issues that are important to Cedric, visit cedricfraser.com. To read the online edition of Natural Awakenings magazine or to check out our complete online calendar of events, visit naturaltwincities.com. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
Welcome back to Green Tea Conversations, where we delve into the pages of Natural Awakenings Magazine and talk to the professionals who share their expertise on natural health with you. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, and we are now going to talk with Cassandra Rose of Bhakti Wellness Center in Edina about a program that they are offering called Free Care for Essential Workers. Cassandra is a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist at Bhakti and is a candidate for a doctorate of acupuncture and oriental medicine with specialties in gynecology and pain management. Welcome to the show, Cassandra. Thank you for having me, Candy. It's wonderful to be here. So you have this new program that Bhakti introduced. It was actually introduced for the month of June, and now you've been expanding it out through the month of August, called Essential Care or Free Care for Essential Workers. Tell us about the program. This is a wonderful program. We just really wanted a way to be able to say thank you to everybody who's working so hard right now. And it's for grocery workers, healthcare workers, EMS workers, um, you know, our essential workers. And it includes free community acupuncture, free community uh, bioelectric medicine, chiropractic care. And then we're also pairing with Heart of Dance, who's offering Zoom dance classes. Um, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to um, kind of help yourself with some stress management because mm-hmm. we're really asking a lot of ourselves right now. And that takes a toll on your health. It helps with pain because I know working long hours is hard on your body, right? And um, the variety of modalities really makes it accessible for folks. And so the part that you are offering is, is the community acupuncture. So help us to understand what community acupuncture is. Yes, um, community acupuncture is a group acupuncture setting. Um, and so currently right now, we of course have everything social distanced um, and masks are required. And you come into the room and um, you sit in one of the chairs and it's a fully clothed um, modality. So you want to wear loose fitting clothes and we do acupuncture points in your ear, um, below the elbow and below the knee. And those are some of the strongest points on the body. And it can address a variety of health concerns or preventative medicine concerns. And so if I was, if I'm an essential worker and I come in and want to make an appointment with you, do I just call the Bhakti Wellness Clinic? Of course, that's a wonderful option. Um, Bhakti's phone number is 612-859-7709. You can also visit bhakticlinic.com backslash essential, and that will take you to a page describing the different modalities and also has a link for how to connect with us on our uh, scheduling program. And you just make your appointment and come on in and we give you a little TLC. So how many people are, are generally in a session at a time with the community acupuncture? The community room is large enough that we can only do two people at a time right now. Mm-hmm. And so you, it, it, um, it staggers start times. So there may or may not be someone uh, napping in the room at the same time as you for a few minutes. Um, and then, uh, so it's, it's um, very comfortable. And if I am not an essential worker, I can still make an appointment and come in and do the community acupuncture as well, correct? Oh, of course. Um, community acupuncture is offered at a sliding scale. Um, it's 25 to 50 to increase accessibility, and you just decide where on that scale you fall. 
Very good. Well, thank you so much. So one of the things that I that we get asked a lot at Natural Awakenings is about a show that we did back in April of 2019 with you. And uh, you were introducing a new service that you were going to be providing to your clients. Uh, it is acupuncture for macular degeneration and other retinal issues. Mm-hmm. And this has been something that has been really um, interesting to people. And we've, we've just gotten a ton of feedback from it. And I know people have been calling and asking how to get a hold of you. So why don't you take a moment to just describe for us what, uh, what the acupuncture is and how it can help people who are, who have some of the effects of macular, macular degeneration. Of course, it is such a powerful tool for helping to maintain or improve your vision from these degenerative eye diseases. And um, it's acupuncture, microcurrent, nutrition therapy. Uh, we go through a lot of different tools to, to help improve your eye health. And the acupuncture points are primarily in the hands and the feet. And there might be a couple like in the forehead, but there's none around the eyes. It's um, very comfortable and you would like to, you would want to come in regularly. And we see great improvement in uh, people's comfort with vision, especially around being able to read for longer periods of time. Um, We definitely see uh, a stopping of the degeneration and we want to do regular eye tests to make sure that we are um, improving your vision and, and your health in the ways that we want to. So really, one of the biggest things um, that I find so interesting about this approach is the ability, a lot of the times people who get a diagnosis of macular degeneration are just kind of feel lost. Like, what are you supposed to do? And so do you find that a lot with your clients as well? Of course. I think that one of the biggest um, benefits to this program is the offer of hope. There are many active things we can do to protect our eye health, and they're not often discussed or um, there's not a lot of patient education around that. So that that feeling of hope, that um, ability to have some input and control over our eye health is so essential to well-being and healing. And so another part of it that you said, you also, as part of this program, recommend nutrition and also um, I'm sorry, what was the name of the other treatment that you have? The microcurrent machine. So frequency-specific microcurrent is a um, a bioelectric tool that we use to match the um, tissue frequency in the body, and it helps to um, stimulate growth in the retinal cells. It helps to increase uh, blood flow and decrease inflammation in the eyes, and it is a great and powerful tool in combination with the acupuncture in our program. And so, when people come in and they come to see you, then you create a, an entire program for them, uh, utilizing all the different tools that you have at your disposal. Yes, there is always an individual constitutional piece with all traditional Chinese medicine, and then of course there are similarities in how. Um, specific degenerative diseases present in people. Well, thank you for being with us today, Cassandra. And for people who want to learn more about the Free Care for Essential Worker program or to make an appointment with Cassandra, you may call 612-859-7709 or visit bhakticlinic.com. 
Thank you for joining our conversation today as we awaken to natural health. To read the online edition of Natural Awakenings Magazine or to check out our complete online calendar of events, visit naturaltwincities.com. You can find a podcast of this show on am950radio.com or Apple and Google Podcasts. You've been listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and I'm wishing for you a lovely day.